Welcome to Puzzling It Out, Thoughts and Perspectives from a Clinical Psychologist. Hello, I'm Dr. Gail Lewis, your podcast host, and a clinical psychologist practicing on the Upper East Side of Manhattan, currently practicing through Zoom doing telehealth psychotherapy. More on that at another point in time. The title of today's episode is, um, it's episode number 15, and it's called The Complexity and Normalcy of Our Current Chronically Traumatic Situation. And I had initially planned on having this podcast talk about shame um, following a blog post that I had written regarding shaming people who are not wearing masks, who are not social distancing, who are not doing the things that we are supposed to be doing in order to decrease the transmission of the coronavirus from person to person. But um, in the interim, I've, I've been seeing um, so many articles that are being written about uh, mental health issues, more so than I've seen in, in, in quite some time. They, they seem to be a regular occurrence uh, in the New York Times and Huffington Post and CNN and uh, other publications that I get, uh, mental health of all of the people that are dealing with this pandemic. There are also specific articles focusing on the mental health issues of the first-line workers, uh, specifically focusing on nurses and doctors who are in the trenches with the people who come in with COVID-19 who end up on um, intubation machines and end up having to say goodbye to loved ones via a FaceTime session held with an iPad to their face by a doctor or a nurse who has been caring for them who is unknown to them. Um, you see on the news, if you're allowing yourself to watch the news, um, I sometimes find it hard to stop watching, even though I do recommend to the patients I work with to limit their news watching. I'm, I'm not following my own advice. Um, lots of interviews with the doctors and the nurses all over the country who are visibly and verbally devastated by what they're dealing with every day, what um, they never in their lives would have imagined their daily existence would be consisting of. Last night, in fact, I had seen on the Rachel Maddow show a pulmonary uh, critical care doctor in Alabama who, who's uh, studies and whose practice has been specifically working with people who have pulmonary issues and who have to be intubated. Uh, 
she is more accustomed to having to work with patients who are in these chronically um, ill uh, end of life situations uh, more so than maybe some of the other many of the other medical practitioners who are dealing with these patients who are coming in and she um, a young woman um, was noticeably rattled and very overwhelmed and myself having worked many many years now with people who have been traumatized it was very obvious by her manner by her affect by her gaze that this is a woman who is completely eclipsed by the overwhelming and horrible stressors that she is having to step into, combat, face, work with, manage every single day. And uh, she did say at the end of the interview that every day when she goes home, she has to fight back the tears. And, you know, I thought about that. Why does this woman have to fight back tears? Why can't she just cry? Um, and she might have some very personal reasons why crying is not something she's allowing herself to do. And I, I don't know her psychology about that. But it, it did remind me of the topic of shame that I had intended to talk about. And how the issue of mental health, mental illness and mental health concerns and uh, how people are still feel, still feeling stigmatized by acknowledging that they struggle with emotional stress and their inner emotional world and acknowledging it and reaching out for help remains to this day to be something that causes people to feel a lot of shame. Um, and I live in New York City. I make a joke every now and again that you throw a rock in New York City and you could hit a shrink. There, there, are, there are hundreds, if not thousands, of therapists. And I, I mean um, social workers, psychologists, psychiatrists, a uh, variety of mental health workers in New York City and so many people in New York City who are in therapy yet it's still one of those things that reminds me um, this years and years and years ago when my mother would talk about somebody who had cancer I don't know if you could hear me whispering that but whenever she would talk about someone who had cancer, she'd whisper the word cancer as if it was this, just this thing, this Yiddish word, this Shonda, this thing that you just don't say, you don't say out loud. And so you don't say out loud that you are in need of psychological help. But now we're dealing with, you know, as a world, as a nation, with the onset of 
a virus that, yes, we are learning um, that was anticipated by some scientists years ago, uh, but for all of us that have not been doing investigating, such as these very few, very smart scientists, to all of this, this was a surprise and it was overwhelming. It remains overwhelming. And it's as if we've been attacked by uh, a bomb that keeps exploding over and over again. And I wanted to give a little definition to what trauma is so that um, you have a basic understanding when I refer to trauma in this podcast, what, what I'm talking about. And also what what you might be hearing, what you might be reading about when, uh, when people on the news, when journalists are mentioning the term trauma, what they might be referring to, educated about it or not. So in general, trauma can be defined as a psychological emotional response to an event or an experience that is deeply disturbing or distressing. And complex trauma is trauma that happens repetitively. It often results in direct harm to the individual and the effects of complex trauma are cumulative. So I would say that it would be reasonable to assess that we are all in a state of being chronically traumatized in a variety of ways, um, depending upon our pre-morbid coping mechanisms. And when I say pre-morbid, I mean pre, pre the onset of all of the effects of the coronavirus, the deaths, the hospitalizations, the intubations, um, the distancing, the inability to be near loved ones, the lack of being able to have physical touch, all of the things that we are constantly having to struggle with and deal with and sit with and tolerate and try to find a way to be okay with. I, I do think that because it, all of these things that we're being asked to do that many of us are being very consistent and respectful about, about paying heed to, um, as hard as it is, doing all of these things are are against the grain of how we function normally as human beings. And I've talked about this in prior podcasts. It's not normal. Um, yes, and I am a psychologist. I'm using the word normal. I prefer not to use it in my practice, but um, I, I think that it's it's reasonable to use it here, that it's, it's not normal to be told that we can't touch one another. It's, it's not normal to have to 
walk down the street and see people wearing masks and staying far apart from one another. It, it's not normal to go on a run with someone and have to be six feet apart. It's none of this is um, anything that we're accustomed to. And a traumatic experience is one that is unsettling to what it, it's when something unexpected happens and we don't have the capacity to process it in a logical, um, linear way where it, because of its unusualness and because it doesn't make sense to us, we internalize it in ways that we can, which often are fragmented and um, non nonsensical and show up in physical ways like having headaches or having stomach aches or having a difficult time sleeping or having chronic anxiety um, or developing uh, new tics, um, having more obsessive compulsive kinds of behaviors, uh, which may resonate for a lot of you who are listening to this, may resonate for none of you who are listening to this, but I guarantee that um, because I'm hearing about it in, in my practice and reading about it and seeing it on the news that uh, there are ongoing and there will be ongoing um, chronic traumatic effects of what we are currently dealing with even if um, a vaccine is developed sometime soon. I do believe a vaccine will be developed. I just don't know, nor does anybody at this point. Um, I just don't know when it will be um, deemed safe and made available to all of us so that we don't have to keep doing all of these cartwheeling mental gymnastics and emotional challenging um, uh, interactions all the time. And that might be a while from now. And so the, the, the title today is, again, The Complexity and Normalcy of our current chronically traumatic situation. And, and I said normalcy um, because I think you know, people are talking about, well, what is it going to be like when this is over? And usually the response is, I just want it to be like the way it was. Um, and unfortunately, I don't think that that is going to be the case. I, I don't I don't believe that that can be the case. Even if every single business was able to get back on their feet and be as productive and successful as they might have been before and our economy rebounds in a way that makes us all feel secure and grounded and uh, financially fluid in whatever way we had been before, 
we will forever be affected by the coronavirus and all of the implications therein. Therefore, we can't go back to what was because we are changed by what has been going on, what is going on, and what will continue to be going on. And the truth is that, well, I, I can't really say the truth because I don't know this for sure, but it's quite likely that all the businesses that were open before will not all be open again. Um, many have already closed, and I don't mean temporarily. Um, many people are going to have an incredibly difficult time being able to get back on their feet, being able to get back to a job that pays to cover their food needs and their shelter needs and their needs of taking care of their families. Um, not to mention that And I think it's interesting that I neglected to bring this up before now. There are all of these people who have died, who have not been able to be buried, who have not been able to go through any kind of religious or um, acknowledging ceremony that addresses the fact that they have passed away because of the limitations of what the coronavirus has done to all of us. Um, it doesn't mean that we're not grieving. And some people are grieving more than others. I think that we're all in a state of grief about what we're losing in the existence that we're currently in right now, what we have lost. I think many of us vicariously feel grief when we read about and learn about all the people who are dying. Um, at this point, um, and if not now, by the time a vaccine is developed, I guarantee that each and every one of us will have known at least one person um, either directly or peripherally who has passed away from this disease. Um, but we are grieving. Um, we are grieving a life that we had. We are, we are grieving with the doctors and nurses who have to face these people coming into their hospitals every day probably knowing that most of them are not going to leave and, and many of them will die. And we are grieving not being able to grieve, not being able to have a proper goodbye to those people who have passed away. To We are grieving not being able to see the people that we love and the people that we took for granted before that we were very freely able to see. And I think that's traumatic. I think that is incredibly distressing and disturbing and chronically so and repetitively so. And 
I think that we're all, we all could in our own way self-diagnose as being in a state of complex trauma. And um, what do we do about that? What do we do about addressing the emotional and mental health needs that are emerging as a result of what we are currently dealing with? And I mentioned shame before. And I'm not going to talk about shaming people who don't wear masks. I mean shame about acknowledging that you are in distress, that you are feeling traumatized, that you are feeling overwhelmed, that you are feeling lost, that you are feeling angry, that you are feeling enraged, that you are feeling sad, that you are feeling longing, you are feeling lonely, um, you are feeling numb, you are feeling isolated, you are feeling alone, you are feeling lost, troubled, vexed, add whatever emotional descriptor you'd like to. Um, all of these are valid and don't let anybody tell you they're not. Um, your feelings are yours. You're entitled to feel what you feel. And I think that unfortunately in many cultures um, we have been taught um, that we're not supposed to talk about how we feel. We're not supposed to give in to our feelings. We're supposed to fight them. We're supposed to be above them um, and not let them affect us. Uh, I think if there's going to be a gender bias here, men specifically, um, and I, I, I wish I knew why, why men, why boys, when they're growing up, they're not socialized in the same way that girls are to be able to feel like it's okay and safe and healthy to express how they feel if they're sad, if they're scared, if they're worried. Um, girls can do that. Um, and th therefore women have tend to have an easier time expressing how they feel and men tend to have a more difficult time expressing how they feel. Um, and there are exceptions of course, but, uh, I think, you know, that's a gender issue, but there's also cultural issues where in certain cultures you just, you just don't talk about how you feel to strangers. You just don't do that. You talk to your family members about how you feel. You talk to your clergy about how you feel. Um, or you just find a way to suck it up. Suck it up, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, and just do what you have to do. And I think that in some cases that might be a constructive thing to do, to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. I've never been a big advocate of that. Um, it's always rubbed me the wrong way. But I do see that there's a level of constructivism in it, in that sometimes you just need to keep moving. You need to 
keep moving forward and uh, you know, maybe a better way of looking at it is you keep moving forward without denying the fact that you're feeling things and find a way to have a, a healthy discourse about how you feel. I think that um, when all is said and done, meaning when we are able to move around more freely, when we are able to have less restrictive lives than what we have right now, um, and I think we are already seeing it, at least me being in the mental health field, I'm already seeing it, that there's going to be a huge demand for mental health services. Um, I think this is why, and you know, living in New York State, I'm not really sure what they're doing in other states. I'd like to think that they are doing other such things that um, we are doing as initiated by our governor, Andrew Cuomo, you know, offering, um, you know, asking for volunteers, mental health service volunteers, to provide free therapy to, um, first it was to frontline workers, and I think that they meant, you know, anybody right now who has to be um, at their job, doctors, nurses, anybody who's working in the hospital setting, uh, the people who are, you know, the food service people in the hospitals, the people who are cleaning, uh, anybody who's working at the local bodega, at the, at the supermarkets, um, people who are transit workers, wanting to offer them free therapy, knowing that these people are putting themselves in harm's way every single time they exit their door, and also potentially putting their family, if they live with other people, their family's lives in danger once they come back from being outside and exposed. Now, the service of free mental health services is being offered to anybody in New York who is seeking help. There, there's, there are a limited amount of sessions that are being made available, but it's a start. And um, 8,000, over 8,000 mental health providers within a two-day period of time volunteered because uh, I think all of us are hating feeling the idea of feeling helpless right now. I know I am, and I was one of the volunteers, and I wanted to feel like I could do something. And I, I didn't make the first round because they filled the, the spot so quickly. I, I did. I did make the second round of being able to run what they're calling coping circles. Um, it's like a group. It's it's a video teletherapy in a group setting and it's for six sessions but I don't know if I will actually be doing it I've done the training for it uh, it depends if people um, ask and ask for uh, to be a participant in the groups and that's one of those things that they talked about in the training is that we have no idea if people are going to um, call in and say, yes, we want to take advantage of this. We, we need help. We, need, we want to talk to people. We want to hear other people's experiences like our own. We want to know that we're not alone, um, which a group situation such as the one I'm describing can be 
you know, a very good experience to, at the very least, hear that you're not alone, um, and that other people are feeling similarly to you. But the point that was given by one of the people that was running the training was that we're not sure people are going to want to take advantage of this. And we all know as mental health practitioners that every single person who is dealing with this, which is all of us, all of us, every single person in the world right now, um, is being impacted by this, if they're already not seeing a therapist, every single person could use talking to somebody, talking to a mental health professional, either now or when, when this is over and they're more mobile and they're more able to, to go to a therapist's office, um, if not do teletherapy, etc. Because we're all, we are all being impacted. We are all being traumatized. We are all being disturbed. Our lives have been disturbed um, chronically in a complex way. And it's not stopping anytime soon. And I encourage you, if you were listening to this, if you know somebody who is suffering um, please have them go to the CDC's website, um, go to the New York State Office of Mental Health's website, and there are phone numbers there for um, finding out more about these services that are being made available. Um, if you don't want to talk to a mental health practitioner, that's fine. Find somebody you feel safe talking to and take turns so that you're not interrupting each other like most people do when they're having a regular conversation. Um, when you're in therapy, you're just being listened to. Um, so if you feel more comfortable talking to somebody that you know, really talk to someone that you know and let them know how you're feeling. Um, Make, make a space for yourself to do that. If you don't want to do that, if that's not something you're comfortable doing, journal, write, write down how you're feeling. Find a space to do that. Find some way that feels comfortable and resonant for you and, and a way for you to validate and honor what is going on for you emotionally. Instead of trying to push all the feelings aside and push them down, and pretend they're not there or feel like they shouldn't be there. I'm telling you that if they're not there, you're probably numb um, because they have to be there. Uh, we are all, we are, as human beings, we are capable of immense feeling states and a whole range of feeling states. and. It is, I was told when I was training to be a psychoanalyst that it is a privilege to be able to have access to and know all of these feelings, some of them more uncomfortable than others. Um, 
and it's important to give yourself permission to be able to talk about them and acknowledge them or write about them or find some kind of healthy outlet for them either now or at some point in the near future because you are going to need it um, that's what trauma does trauma bears down on someone's sense of self and leaves a very indelible imprint that has incredible staying power and continues to affect us unless we deal with it. And the trauma that coronavirus has planted in each and every one of us is being experienced differently, but it is an indelible trauma nonetheless. Please pay attention to it. Please don't ignore it. Please find ways to take care of it and take care of yourself. It's okay. It's really, it's okay. It's important. And I encourage you to, to find a way to allow yourself to to say that I'm entitled to feel this way and it's important that I know that I feel this way and it's important that I give voice in some way to how I feel because it will make me ultimately a healthier, stronger person. If you have any questions about anything that I've talked about in this podcast or in previous podcasts, you can find me at my website, which is drgaillewis.com. On there is my email address and my office phone number. And even though I'm not working from my office currently, I check my voicemail regularly. So you're certainly welcome to leave a message there. There's also a page on my website if you're at all interested in scheduling an appointment. Um, please fill that out. I get an email immediately and I'd be happy to talk to you about the possibility of scheduling an appointment. Um, again, if I'm, I'm not to be the resource for you, that's absolutely fine. The CDC and the Office of Mental Health has resources on their respective websites, and I encourage you to go to them and find a way to get the services that are being made available. We all as mental health providers, we, we want to be there for you. Um, we, we want to be of help to you. And um, it just means you have to let us, which is no easy feat, but take a shot. Um, we just want to give you some sense of peace and some sense of grounding that you might not have right now. All right, thank you for listening. Please stay safe. Please take care. And I, I appreciate your time. All right. Bye-bye.